0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. The story of Jonah is one of our favorites for so many reasons. For many of us, it's one of the first stories that we remember from our childhood Sunday school and those early Bible picture books. Who can resist the image of Jonah on the ship, Jonah in the whale, Jonah thrown up on the shore? (laughs) It's a story that children love to hear. But the story of Jonah continues to be one of our favorites as adults as well. And I think one of the reasons is because Jonah is our kind of prophet—reluctant, withdrawn, stubborn, never quite ready to go to Nineveh. This seems a lot more real to us than some of those other stories. All over the Bible, people are always getting up and going where God tells them. Abraham and Sarah move out on a promise and a prayer. Moses heads to Egypt with nothing but a shepherd's staff and Aaron serving as his communications director. Elijah stands defiant, facing 450 Baal prophets. But not Jonah. Jonah stands on the dock with a ticket for Tarshish. Our passage from Jonah begins in chapter 3. We are told, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message I will tell you. That opening reminds us that God has actually come to Jonah a first time, way back at the beginning. There God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians are the bad guys. They looted and plundered Israel, burning her cities and deporting her people until she was completely wiped out. These violent people are the enemy of Israel. No, Jonah doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites. They are mean, rotten bullies. He's probably glad that God has finally noticed their wickedness and was ready to do something about it. These people didn't need to be warned. They needed to be punished. What Jonah really wants is for Nineveh to get a good smite. So as soon as God tells him, Jonah heads in the opposite direction and gets himself on the dock to wait for the boat to Tarshish in the Mediterranean. God says, go east, so Jonah goes west. What Jonah didn't count on is that you can never escape from God. There is nowhere you can go where God does not know your whereabouts. Yes, God not only knew where Jonah was, but He knew why he was fleeing. So God sends a great wind on the sea to cause a storm, and the sailors on the ship, after trying all of their other options, cast lots to see who has caused this misfortune. The lot falls on Jonah, and he admits that he's fleeing from God and that they should probably throw him overboard if they want to calm the storm. And after asking God for mercy, they do so. And it works. The storm is calmed, and Jonah is promptly swallowed by a big fish. During the three days that he resides in that fish, Jonah prays to God. And after hearing Jonah's prayer of deliverance, God induces the fish to spit Jonah up on the shore. This is where our passage for today picks up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message, I will tell you. This time, Jonah heads to Nineveh. But you still get the impression that his heart's not really in it. So off Jonah reluctantly goes, dragging his feet the whole way. As he walks the city streets, he is probably quite the sight, trailing seaweed and smelling a fish puke. As he trudges along, he yells out, change your ways, you filthy scoundrels. Shape up or God's going to get you, you stinking, rotten Ninevites. And lo and behold, the people of Nineveh listen to Jonah. They repent. They change their ways. In fact, the king orders everyone in the kingdom, even the animals, to put on sackcloth and fast as a sign to God that they're really serious about their repentance. Who knows, the king says, God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God sees all those sackcloth-covered cows and sheep and people and how they've turned from their evil ways, God does change His mind and chooses not to carry out His punishment you would think Jonah would be ecstatic. After all, he can now claim to be the only really successful prophet in the whole Bible. He's brought about a mass conversion that Billy Graham could only dream of. He is headed to the Evangelism Hall of Fame. Everyone in the city has come forward for the altar call. Not only that, according to the story, God is so impressed with Jonah's prophetic work that even God repents. You'd think Jonah would be thrilled, but he's not. He's mad at God. See, this is why I didn't want to do this. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And Jonah marches himself to a hill just outside town and throws himself down to sulk and to pout. God stirs Jonah's anger, not by being less loving and merciful than Jonah had imagined, but by being too loving and merciful. There's so many great lessons for us from the story of Jonah. First, God can use us even when we've got a bad attitude and our heart isn't in it. We don't have to become model Christians before God uses us for His purposes. Heck, we don't even have to want to do it. Even when I'm a jerk, God can still use me to do great things. God's things. Faithfulness, it turns out, is not merely a matter of what one feels, but what one does. Second— God can change His mind. This isn't the only place in Scripture where God changes His mind. All of the superlatives that we use to describe God, including unchangeable, cannot limit God from being who God is. God's character might be unchanging, but God reserves the divine right to change His mind. God will not be limited by our assumptions of how He is supposed to work in the world. Third, God's grace isn't reserved for a subset of His people. It is for all people. We might have some strong opinions about who we think is worthy of God's grace and forgiveness, but that only shows that we don't really get how we've been the recipients of that same grace and forgiveness. God relented and saved Jonah from the whale. Jonah is happy to be the recipient of God's grace. He just doesn't want people he doesn't like getting that same gracious treatment. But we can't always see what God sees. And things are not always black and white. Jonah is an Israelite. He's one of God's people, yet he runs from God's presence avoids God's call on him, performs his work with a bad attitude, and complains to God about God's grace and mercy. The Ninevites, on the other hand, who were supposed to be the meanies and the thugs, repent immediately, taking God very seriously. God forgave them both, but Jonah could not forgive Our recalcitrance in forgiving others should give us pause because every week we pray to God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. No one is so far gone that God cannot bring them to repentance. No one is beyond the scope of God's love and mercy. No people and no place not even Nineveh, can be called God-forsaken. God is always willing to extend grace and mercy. God's holy intention is to forgive, embrace, restore, and bless. Like Jonah, God has a call on us here at St. Michael He's brought about His purposes through us in the past, and He has more good work for us to do. And while there might be times when it's tempting to turn in the opposite direction and head for Tarshish, we are asked to trust God as He calls us into new and sometimes uncomfortable places. And we are to do so knowing that God can accomplish His purposes through us, even thanks be to God when we are reluctant disciples, amen.